I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 207. Well, it may be episode 207, but I know eight people I am very thankful for. Oh, shit. And you know what they are. Patreoners! <laughs> oh, Lord. Brittany T. from Indiana. Amanda P. from Illinois. Oh, Addison P. from Texas. Shauna A. from California. Shannon H. from Utah. Anae G. from Colorado. Nicole S. from Virginia. And Paris T. from California. We certainly hope that you're enjoying all the bonus episodes that you get every freaking month and the entire backlog. You know the drill. You want all that shit and an episode shout out? Head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. And I'm just going to say it. We're adding something extra to Patreon starting this month. Da-da-dong. You know what we did this week? Well, you know because you did it. You just didn't know I was going to talk about it right Oh, now. okay. We booked our spot at the True Crime Podcast Festival that's happening in August in Dallas, Texas. Yes, August 26th through the 28th. So y'all know how we've gone, well, every year that we could. Mm-hmm. So this will be the third annual, except, you know, that one year they didn't have it because of, well, COVID. But anyway, we've been to Chicago, we've been to Kansas City, and this year, Dallas. We know that some of y'all have already gotten tickets, and that is nutso that y'all are excited oh my gosh. because we're so excited to go to. We really are. So if you're in the Dallas area or, well, anywhere. We got people coming from... Cindy coming from New York. Uh-huh. Karen coming from California. I know. Y'all, we are so excited to see everyone that's coming. Obviously, we know that not everyone can travel and all the things. We totally understand that. But if you can make it, definitely come. Go to True Crown Podcast Festival's website and check out the tickets. They have hotel rates for people who are going that's a little bit cheaper and everything. So, like, way cheaper. Yeah. So definitely check it out if you want to come. It's awesome. There's some great podcasters that come. You'll be able to see on their website who all has signed up so far. And hopefully y'all can come. Yes. Just so you know, Tiffany will be there and Colby too. You get to meet the whole crew. Oh, the Motley crew. Well, you know what rhymes with Motley crew? What? Cold brew. And that's what I'm super excited for from our sponsor, Daily Harvest. Oh my God, I am so freaking excited about this one. I've been dying to try it and now we get to, I've been perusing their website and picking it out and seriously, there's one cold brew and almond. It says, taste nutty, creamy. And I'm like, check, check. Oh yeah, Daily Harvest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Not your Saturday night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or Friday night or Thursday or Wednesday or (laughs) Tuesday or, well, all seven. All of them. And it doesn't have to be night. Hello. But then it says creamy cold brew. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Bring it back to that. Sure, sure, sure. But that sounds amazing. Y'all, the other day I told Colby, I don't think I've eaten a vegetable in like three or four days. And that's why I'm so excited about Daily Harvest because it's the easiest way to get more fruits and vegetables into your day every day. And you get to keep it in your freezer. That's a plus for me. Because do you know how much money I waste every single week throwing away vegetables and fruit that I bought from the grocery store, but I hate to fucking cook. So I didn't cook it and I didn't eat it and it went in the trash. Well, I used to do that, but now Daily Harvest to the rescue. And just because I'm super excited about the smoothies, like super excited, there's a lot of other shit. Harvest bowls and flatbreads and soup. And it takes minutes to prepare. Never uses preservatives, no added sugars, or artificial anything. 
And all that good good, it comes all packaged in recyclable, compostable packaging. They are even investing in organic farming practices and helping to reduce food waste. Me too. Yeah, I usually just do that by eating more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Daily Harvest makes it easy for us to feel good about what we're doing for ourselves and the planet. So go to dailyharvest.com slash creeps to get $40 off your first box. Note that that's creeps, plural, multiple of us, and multiple boxes we'll be getting. Uh, yes. So make sure you put it plural. That's dailyharvest.com slash creeps with an S for $40 off your first box. Daily Harvest, H-A-R-V-E-S-T dot com slash creeps. Like Donna gives me the creeps. Damn. Well, y'all know how I do. Got a recommendation on this story from Linda W. in the Facebook group on our suggestion box thread. And Linda, you did me dirty. There is not much on this damn story. But thanks to my girl Paula's on, I had an episode. It's on. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) ma'am. I had an episode to watch that gave me the bulk of it. Girl, I mean, I ended up finding some stuff, obviously, but it was like, I mean, pulling teeth. There were no, like, local news articles or anything like that that was pulling up on my Google search. But it is a good story. So thank you, Linda. (laughs) You did me dirty, boo, but thank you. (laughs) Picture it. Monroe, Louisiana, April 4th, 1981. Holy shit. Close to home and close to your birthday. Mm Mm-hmm. Four years too early, but yes. Patrol officers pull up on a blue Ford Mustang in the middle of the street. Like, literally in the middle of the street. But the weird thing is, the keys were in it, and not only were they in it, they were in the ignition. And the car was running. But they could tell that the car had been rear-ended. So, the back taillight was busted. But they knew that it had happened there, because not only was the taillight busted and there like the red glass on the ground, but there was glass from another car. Headlight glass, you know, like not the same color. So they're like, who the fuck does this car belong to, right? So they run the registration and they find out it belongs to Lee Wharton. So the police call him, dee boop, 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 because it's like late. I'm assuming he like wakes up groggy and is like, like, yeah, on that car, but that car belongs to my daughter, Kathy. Okay, so in my head, I was like, wrong name. It's Linda, but it's because you said Linda's <laughs> name so many times at the beginning. Linda's like, geez, okay, I get it. <laughs> but I was like, no, oh, she said the wrong name. You thought I pulled another Paula Gertrude? Mm-hmm. So Kathy's dad, Lee, gathers up the troops, and they go to figure out, like, what's going on. Their car is in the middle of the road. So they're going to the scene with the car. You know that has to be nerve-wracking. Can you even imagine? No. You get a call, and literally in the middle of the night, your daughter's car is in the middle of the road running, and she's nowhere to be found. Right. And remember, I got this a lot, like 87% of this information from On the Case with Paul is On, and it was season 7, episode 12, I think. But the police detectives that were... On the show, we're saying, like, we were just trying to figure out what happened at first. Like, was it someone that was, like, a drunk driver involved in an accident? And so they fled the scene because they were drunk, you know? And so I guess they feel like maybe better to get a leaving the scene than to get a DUI. Right. Well, while all of this is happening, police get a call from an anonymous caller. The caller tells them that there is a dead body on the side of a road. So patrol goes to see, okay, is this call legitimate? What's going on? And they actually do find a body. And it's kind of more in the road than out of the road. The body is of a female. And they can tell that she has been shot. Later, they find out that it was by a 22 caliber gun. 
But the shot was above the left eye. And how it, like how close it was and everything, they were like, this is like an execution shot. Oh my gosh. They could tell that the girl had been raped, but they didn't know who she was because she had no identification on her. So the police are like, well, we have this random abandoned car that's literally like a mile or two miles away from where this random body's found. Let's look at, let's see if we can find some identification that way. So they go to the car that had been abandoned and they were able to find a driver's license in the car. And the picture on the driver's license matches the body that they found. Bless it. They had just found the body of 19-year-old Kathy Wharton. 19 years old. So they're like, okay, did did somebody like rear-end her to get her to like pull over, pull out a gun, and then like take her away? What happened? Did somebody follow her? Like, how did this happen? They don't know if it's somebody, like a personal attack of somebody who knew her because it's like this kind of close range, like execution style, or is it a random attack? Yeah. Well, Kathy's sister tells police that Kathy and some of her friends were going to go out dancing that night. You know, police are going to work to figure out, okay, who is she? What were her plans that night? Where did she go? Tell us everything, kind of. Tell us everything. Well, kind of. <laughs> I meant like kind of thing. I know what you meant. It was just perfect. I also always say definitely, probably. Me too. <laughs> Me too. So Kathy's younger sister tells police that Kathy and her friends were going to go out dancing that night. But before she left the house, she got a call from a woman. And this woman says that she's calling on behalf of Kathy's ex-boyfriend. And the person on the phone says that the ex-boyfriend really wants to see Kathy that night. But Kathy's like, nah, sis, I'm good. What? Broke up. Like, I'm good. Everybody's like, this is fucking weird AF. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're like, who calls? Hey, Donna, I'm calling on behalf of Lion and... Oh, God. Why you had to bring him into it? <laughs> I don't know. If y'all listened to the previous episodes, I'm sure what episode it was on, but that wasn't his real name, but that's how he pronounced it. Um, I'm such and such, and I'm calling on behalf of Lion. He really wants to see you tonight. The fuck? It, first of all, if he wants to see me, he can call me himself. Right? Second of all... No. He's an ex for a reason. No. Basically, that's what Kathy says. Nah, I'm good. I don't want to see him. Also, I'm toxic because I want to be like, and who are you to him? So the police do know now that Kathy went out dancing with some of her friends that night. And the plan was that they were all going to go spend the night together at the friend's house. But at 1 a.m., instead of everybody leaving together to go home, the two girls she was with had met some dudes. (sighs) Yep. So the guys were coming home with the friends. So Kathy was like, cool, cool. Y'all do you, but I'm not about to be this fifth wheel. Right. Deuces. Which I totally understand, but like, don't separate. Yeah, don't separate. No victim shaming or blaming, but like, that is my biggest fear when I go out. I don't go out. When I was younger and I would go out with new people, like, don't leave me. Uh, Go out with new people. Go out with your friends on your senior trip. And they left you to your own devices. No, I left them. Well, they let you leave. That's what I mean. Yeah, shit. I I think that was one of the drunkest I'd ever, ever been. Uh Uh-uh. See, And uh -uh. I left. It was, anyway. Yeah, like, don't don't separate from your friends. Carrie was in the bathroom too long. She said, I gotta go pee. This was on my 21st birthday. She was in there too long. 
And I was like, let me go check on her. And we had a fight because a little poo slipped out. (laughs) Because I was like, Carrie, trying to be nice, trying not to be my loud ass self. But I was just like making sure, you know, nothing bad was going down because it was on Bourbon Street. I don't know. You know, and I was like, Carrie. Carrie. What? Yeah. And so I was like, <laughs> uh, just checking on you. Like, and she was, you know, lit on. Because I was drunk. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, I was just checking on you. <laughs> <laughs> a little poo slipped out. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing. Tiffany was like, oh my God. <laughs> I guess that grape shot really got me. <laughs> I mean, purple. What was it called? Purple. I, girl, I don't know. Something about Fruity Pebbles. Oh, I don't like Fruity Pebbles. Okay. So she leaves the friends, but she doesn't really tell them where she's going. She just said that she was going to go have breakfast with two other friends. Sketch. So police are like, who'd she go eat with? Was it the ex-boyfriend? Like, did she decide to be like, okay, actually, I had a drink or two. You want to meet up? Right. Let me call his proxy and see if they want to have breakfast. My people call your people to come (laughs) meet me at the Waffle House. Oh, Oh, good God. That's some good stuff. So the police bring the boyfriend in and he's super nervous, but like, duh. Yeah. I hate when the police are like, they were really nervous. Well, yeah, I'd be shaking in my fucking boots if the police brought me in for something. I'm shaking in my boots when a police car's behind me. And you're doing nothing wrong? Doing nothing wrong. And also, by the by, you're telling him his girlfriend is dead. Well, ex-girlfriend, but you're telling him someone that was close to him is dead, you know? And then it's like... Wait, I'm a suspect. Right. I don't know. I just feel like someone being nervous is a normal reaction. Now, there's nervous, and then there's, like, pouring sweat because they did it. Like, you can tell the difference. Also, there's pouring sweat because you're hot as fuck, and that's also usually me. Not since you started blood thinners. Not since blood thinners. Blood thinners got me a whole different way. She's literally got both of her arms in her shirt (laughs) saying she's freezing, and I'm in shorts. I'm nervous going in anywhere new, and I've mm-hmm. never been to like the police office. What the police office? Yeah, not the station. The <laughs> not office. The, station, she, the office. <laughs> she wants to go see those bougie cops with their office. They gotta have a, a corner office with a window. So the ex-boyfriend tells police that he was at a bar the night of Kathy's murder, but he left at ten and went home and went to bed. So there's not really anybody to corroborate his story. Yeah. So the police get a warrant for his car because they know that Kathy's car was involved in that accident. So if he was involved, his car would have some damage. So not only did they know that it had been involved in the accident, they had the glass that they could kind of match up. Ooh. And some paint transferred from the car that hit her onto Kathy's car. So they were going to be able to like match up the paints. Yeah. I mean, now they can use that. I always want to call it the sphygmomanometer, but that's like for checking blood pressure. Um, that sounded like some anal fun. What's the, um, what is it called? I don't, they always talk about it on, um, forensic files. Yes. I'm going to kick my, I'm, I'm going to hear it. Everybody's like shouting in that. Anyway. So when they check his car out, it's, Freaking pristine. Like, it's not been in an accident, and the paint doesn't match. Then police were able to actually find out the two friends that she had gone to breakfast with. And so, the timeline just didn't work. It just proved more and more that, okay, that wasn't actually the ex-boyfriend that did it. And then, the police were able to rule out the people that she had had breakfast with as well. So, not long before Kathy was murdered, there was another woman in the area 
that was murdered as well. Her name was Sherry Lynn Alford. So Sherry was visiting her boyfriend in the Town and Country subdivision on February 1st of 1982. About midnight, she was going home down her regular route, and not long after that, her body was found right next to her vehicle in the road. She was only about a mile from her house. Oh my gosh. She was shot twice, and it looks like the first shot like went through her driver's side window and shattered the glass and hit her in her wrist, and that's what made her like stop and try to leave the vehicle when she was shot again. The shot on her wrist actually stopped her watch at 11.57. So they like wow. knew her time of death because of her watch. So her death was kind of similar in that she was a younger white female driving late at night, but there really was nothing to go on. Was Sherry raped? I never saw that. I, okay. I, I don't actually know. There was also another murder that happened after Kathy's. But I pulled a Carrie, and the one that happened after Kathy was Sherry. Oh, Lord. The one that happened before Kathy, her name was Angeline Hill, and she went by Angie. She was 26, and she was last seen on July 31st of 1980. She had gotten off work at a convenience store where she, well, worked, but she never made it back home after that. Her body was found on, like, the very next day, August 1st of 1980, on Richmond Road. That is the same road that Kathy's body was found. Oh, gosh. And she, too, had been shot. Her car was later found on a different street, just like Kathy's. So, Sherry was shot at her car and found beside it. Angie and Kathy were both found separate from their cars, but found basically on the same road. Wow. So Monroe isn't, it's a college town, University of Louisiana at Monroe there. So it's not like a small town, but it's not this huge city either. This is a lot of murder to be happening in in a three-year time span. So there's some rumors flying about this case because again, they don't really have anything to go on. Some people believe that it might actually be a police officer doing this because at the time police officers carried 22 caliber shotguns like in their trunks but that doesn't make sense because maybe with angie and sherry because we don't know well really just angie because we don't know what made her pull over sherry was shot that's what made her stop her car and then kathy somebody rear-ended her that's what made her stop her car if these women were murdered by a police officer all the police officer had to do would be turn their blue lights on Right. They wouldn't have to shoot them and rear end them and all of that. And they would have a police cruiser that had just been wrecked if they were doing it while they were on duty to use their twenty two caliber shotgun. Right. So I just don't think like a police officer is going to need to have bumped Kathy to get her pull over. The lights are plenty. Right. While all this is happening, a very notorious serial killer is getting arrested in Texas. His name? Henry Lee Lucas. Oh, which we actually do an episode on him, and it's episode 48. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, so Henry Lee Lucas, quick synopsis, is a notorious serial killer that worked his way through many places, but Texas and Louisiana for sure. So investigators are like, we know that he's, again, Texas, Louisiana, let's go interview him, because it's kind of similar to his M.O., 
So they go to interview him in Texas, and they're like, hey, we're here from Monroe, Louisiana, investigating three murders. And Henry Lee Lucas responds and says, I've only killed one girl in the Monroe area, and that's the one I shot. What? So they're like, tell me more, tell me more. Like, does he have a car? (laughs) So then he goes into detail. He says that he got her from her car, put her in his car, took her a couple miles away, raped her in his car, and then shot her in the head. What? He told police what the girl was wearing, and it was like what Kathy was wearing, and he said that he used a twenty-two caliber. (gasps) Police are like, what the fuck? Yes. They're like, okay, okay, let's give this a little time. Like, let's give it a month. Let's come back and see if he tells us the same story. Like, let's let him sit on it, you know, because, you know, he was confessing to other crimes as well. So, like, let's come back in a month and see what happens. So, they come back and he tells them the exact same story. Wow. You know, that month had to be the longest month for her family. Yes. Remember, this is all happening in real time, too. So... It's like the world's finding out about Henry Lee Lucas. So they're interviewing him and all of that. Then the world finds out about, wait, he had a partner and he did. His name was Otis Tool. Otis had just been arrested in Florida. So they go to Florida because they're like, hopefully he'll run his mouth just like his buddy. So they get there to interview him. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's the one we stopped and took her off and shot her. And they're like, well, how'd you get her to stop? And he's like... We rear-ended her. Oh, my gosh. And then Otis goes in to describe the rape and the murder in detail, and it matched everything Henry Lee Lucas was saying. So the police are like, holy shit, they did this. Yeah. So they tell the family, like, look, we're pretty sure that they did this. They confess with, like, pretty good accuracy. They're known to have used twenty two caliber weapons in other murders. So police do a warrant for the arrest of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. But the prosecutor's like, well, not so fast. We're not going to actually arrest them. We're not going to do anything with this yet. Let's see what happens in Texas and Florida. Oh, my gosh. Because they're like, look, Texas and Florida got their hands full with these cases. And they're death penalty cases. So if they get convicted of the death penalty in those two states, like, let's not weigh, I say, I know this sounds terrible, but let's not use taxpayer money to charge them when they're already getting sentenced potentially to death in these other states. Now, while I realize that that does not give the family closure and all of that, that's the decision that they made at the time. So both of the men got sentenced to death. But not long after that, their sentences were commuted to life in prison. And when that happened, the two were like, bye to bye. All those other cases we confessed to? Just kidding. Of course. Because now they have life in prison mm-hmm. and not the death penalty. So they don't want to be getting tried in these other states, especially like Louisiana that has the death penalty. Mm-hmm. They're not trying to get tried in Louisiana and get on death row. Mm-hmm. So years go by. And Kathy's sister is just, she just isn't satisfied with how this case ended. Now, she's got kids and she says, like, look, my daughters are asking questions about this murder and I just don't have the answers to tell them what happened to their Aunt Kathy. So, she goes to her parents' house and she gets her dad's box that had all the information about the murder. In it, she finds a business card for detective and she called him and she's like, Bruh, are you sure that Otis Toole and Henry Lee Lucas killed Kathy? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But I mean, I don't 
no, no. You know, there was no, like, physical evidence linking them to them. And it's not quite their M.O. because they would torture women. None of the three women were tortured. Kathy was raped, but they weren't tortured in the way that Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole are known for. So her sister is like, so what all did they say in their confession? And he tells her, and she's like, wait, that's all shit I saw in the paper. Oh, my gosh. So she starts doing some digging in the library. And that's when she finds, wait, no, they really did, like we just talked about, confess to all of these crimes. And then once they got off from the death penalty, they started recanting. And it's like, the longer that they keep, oh, wait, did he do this case or did he do this case? The longer they keep confessing to crimes, they're going to stay alive. So they were doing everything they could to avoid the death penalty. And then when it was taken off the table, they're like, no, 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 just kidding. Tricked you. We didn't do any of this. Mm -hmm. Also, it would even delay the current trial even more, you know. Mm -hmm. So it was all a fucking game. Meanwhile, Kathy's family has lived all these years thinking their poor sister was killed at the hands of these two notoriously horrible serial killers. Right. This Okay, this part I wasn't sure if... It was like a group of detectives from like the Monroe area or just like a group of detectives working the Lucas and Tool thing. But some detectives got together and created like a timeline of Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Tool's movements and where they traveled and the murders that we knew that they committed and all of that. And they were like, look, they were nowhere near Monroe when Kathy was murdered. So this blew the case wide open. So her sister is, you know, calling around and they're like, she's like, can we get this case back open? And they're like, it was never closed. So she's like, can we get this ball rolling again? Well, here's the bad news. A bunch of the evidence is now missing. Of course. The autopsy, the crime scene photos, they're all missing. Well, that's probably why they think a cop's involved. Well, they did have some biological evidence that they had collected from the scene. And if you know any Palazon episode, you know that they got DNA from that old sample that they had saved from her murder. So they tested the DNA against Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole, and it was not a match for either of them. So from there, they move on. They get DNA samples from anybody that they could have possibly have ever suspected had killed Kathy, and all of them were eliminated. Well, right around this time is when the FBI began using CODIS, which is their national database of DNA profiles from basically anybody that's ever been convicted of a felony at this point. It's just grown and grown and grown and grown from now, but this is when it had just very first started. So they put the DNA profile in CODIS and got a hit. Oh my gosh. So at this point, it had been 26 years since Kathy's murder, and they finally have a DNA hit. The match was to a convicted sex offender named Anthony Glenn Wilson. He had been arrested 45 times. 45 fucking times? Who releases him? Well, but it, but you see that a lot in these, like, career criminals where they'll have all these arrests that, like, n- nothing happens from. I know. Or it's just, like, a whatever, community service or whatever. 45 times? He ain't stopping. Completely agree. Well, police go look for Anthony Wilson, and they find out that he had an outstanding warrant for a probation violation. So they're like, check, check, and yes. So they call the U.S. Marshals to come help them track him down and arrest him. But guess what? This is so cool. The original deputy that found Kathy's body was now a U.S. Marshal, and he's the one that got the case 
to find. Oh my God. Anthony. The U.S. Marshal finds out that Anthony's staying at a house just a few miles from where Kathy was murdered. Wow. And the same deputy that found her body that's now a U.S. Marshal is the one that got to put the handcuffs on Anthony. He was taking him in for a warrant, like an outstanding yeah. warrant. But still, on the episode of On the Case of Paula Zahn, he talks about how that was his first murder he had ever worked and seen. And wow. he's like, I, I cannot get her face out of my head. Like, he's like, you never forget the first. I bet. And so for 26 years later, for it to come full circle in that way, it's just, you can't, I mean, you can't fucking write that shit. Right. You saw that in the movie, you'd be like, okay. Uh-huh. So they arrest him and they ask him like, hey, in April of 81, where were you living? Were you living here? And he's like, yeah. And they're like, cool, cool, cool. You know this woman? Slide a picture. And he's like, nope, never seen her. And they're like, oh, really? Then why is your DNA on her dead body? He's like, oh, okay, okay. I remember now. She liked me and we had sex and then she left. Oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, right. So they took a DNA sample from him just so they could double check. Because, you know, they can't just rely on, oh, this DNA. I mean, you could, human error could have insert, you know entered something in wrong so they get their own dna sample and check it against what they had collected from the murder scene and it was a match so the family's all excited they're like we got him we got it like 26 years later we finally got this guy and the prosecutor's like well not so fast oh my gosh the prosecutor's like look I wholeheartedly believe that he did this. Like, in my heart of hearts, I know this guy did this. But we don't have enough for trial. You've got all this fucking missing evidence from how or why ever it was lost. I can't take him to trial with just DNA. We gotta have something else. So they are looking everywhere for this missing evidence. They're checking all the file folders, all the boxes. They just cannot fucking find it. So... They're like, we can't take him to trial. He's going to get acquitted. Like, we can't take the risk of him being acquitted and us never getting to charge him. They're like, we would rather sit here and wait until we just miraculously find something than to take him to trial and lose and him never face, you know? Yeah. So then the police and the prosecutors get a little creative. They find out that the dickhead has some unfiled charges against him. They were never filed. They were never dismissed. They were just, like, sitting there waiting to what be done. What the fuck? And that's, it's that kind of shit of, like, why I think they get arrested, like, 45 times and nothing ever comes of it. So, it was for a robbery charge. So, they decide they're going to charge him with that. And there is a Louisiana statute or law that you can put habitual offenders away for life. So, the prosecutor's like, look, this is a seven-time felon who's been arrested 45 times. I think if we can get him convicted of this burglary, I can argue this statute to the judge and get him sentenced to life in prison. But we got to get him convicted of this burglary charge. And it was literally a burglary charge of cologne. He broke into, yes, he (laughs) broke into a car and stole cologne. So the prosecutor's taking him to trial for this so that he can then say, okay, now that we've got him convicted, Can you put him away for life, please? Right. So can you just imagine, like, if you were sitting on that jury, because the family of Kathy did not go to this trial. They knew everything that was hanging in the balance of this trial. But they just, they didn't go. Like, I don't think that the prosecutor is the one that prosecuted. I'm surely he sent somebody else. But like, could you imagine being on this jury and be like, why's the DA here? You know, like, what is the big deal about this case? You know, (laughs) like, why's that family here? You know, like, so surely they kind of 
play their cards a little closer to the vest than that. But the prosecutor was like, no, I mean, we had to get him convicted of this. And it wasn't going to be super easy to convince this jury. Like, why should you care that he stole this cologne, basically? But eventually, he did go to trial, and he was convicted of the theft. So he was sentenced to 12 years in prison for that. Damn. Look, cologne do be expensive. (laughs) For sure. So from there, the district attorney is like, hey, can I have a special hearing to talk about his sentencing and get it extended? Because he's an habitual offender. Please. And it worked. The judge was like, yep, life in prison without parole. So no, he was never convicted of Kathy's murder, but he's also never getting out. Right. And, you know, this is the best form of justice that they could get against him. And honestly, they never had to go through a trial where they heard all these details of her murder and solve pictures and, you know, yeah. all of that. Well, and had the defense try to drag her through her the mud. The, yeah. And I feel like a lot of people think that he was probably involved in the murders of Sherry and Angie as well. But there's no evidence to link him to those crimes but it makes sense that if he lived in that area Mm -hmm. but it's also like one or potentially three murders that he just started and then just stopped right so are there more or did he like get it out of his system like how does that work I don't know. And you think that they would be able to compare the bullets to be like, okay, these twenty two caliber bullets came from the same gun or they didn't come from the same gun. And then that's how they would be able to connect yeah. it. You know? So there's got to be more to this story that we just don't know. But the families of Sherry, Angie, and Kathy have all kind of banded together and that are trying to seek justice for all three of the women. But for sure, the other two that there's been nothing really done about because it sounds like there was no like biological evidence or anything like that at the scene. But Kathy's sister, Debbie, wrote a book called The Sweet Scent of Justice. Oh, is that not the best yes. title? Arrested for Cologne, we life it. in prison. I know, but you know what? If they didn't <laughs> listen to that part, they may not have called on to that. And that I was just like, now that is a good damn <laughs> name. Uh, yes. Golly, I'm glad they worked around and got him. Yeah, that's why I think too, like, you know, at first you're like, fuck that prosecutor. But he, I mean, he was right. Because it's a one-shot deal when you're going for murder like that. Right. Hello, y'all listen to True Crime Podcast. Y'all know that. But like, better to wait in hopes that maybe you just find the evidence in somebody else's box. That's what he said. Okay. And, you know, and then instead of risking an acquittal. Yeah, for sure. Well, you were right. Linda gave you a doozy. That took some turns. And, you know, like, I didn't think it was going to have an ending, like a resolution, but it did in a weird way, you know? That's Paula for you. (laughs) Okay. That is why I fall asleep to her show most nights. She's my new go-to right now. Oh, okay. So I have something new, not Paula, but I did something kind of under the radar. Not everyone knew about it, but I applied for a part-time job. And it was right after my dad passed away because, you know, life's expensive and adult shit. So I needed more income. Well, I got the job and I started Wednesday. So by the time y'all are hearing this, I've worked three days. (laughs) So she's still going to be podcast part-time, full-time, whatever time. But, you know, we just couldn't sustain her. Yeah, not yet. But 
it's a really good opportunity and I'm looking forward to it. It's three days a week. So anyway, I'll be doing customer service for a company based in Scotland. So I thought it would be fitting to cover something across the pond. All right. So just know this story's kind of short and I am sorry about that, but I never heard about it. So maybe y'all hadn't either. Or if you live in Scotland and you have, give us your thoughts and shit. All your thoughts. I want to know about it. And shit. And shit. Your thoughts and shit. <laughs> All right. Picture it. Glasgow, Scotland, 1976. It was late at night and two teenage girls were walking home from a party. I can picture them probably elbows linked, wobbling a little bit, you know, coming home from a party, laughing a little too loud for the quiet streets that they're traveling. You know, all the things. I feel attacked. I'm attacking myself here. And even though it was late at night, it was a bright night lit up by the moon and various streetlights. But suddenly, they both stopped talking about whatever they were doing, and they noticed someone who was semi-hidden in the shadows, only because where the streetlights, you know, there's a gap between the streetlights. So there's like that one little like shadow. Well, that person was there. So a little in the light, a little in the shadow, but they knew, okay, someone's there. So they all just stood there in eerie silence and that tension in the air and the girls didn't know what to do next. You know, keep going, get closer to him to go home or run away from him, go the opposite way, scream for help, what to do. So they decided to keep going, keep walking, pretend everything was normal, even though it wasn't, and just try to make it home. Obviously, the fun night that they had was turning out to be not so fun. So they quickly walked past, but they took that moment to really try to study his appearance. You know, take a quick inventory of who he is, what's going on, but not be so obvious. Not my forte. Carries all the way. Not mine. They said he was in his late 50s, bald, very thin, and he was dressed in a tight black Leotard. Yeah, you wouldn't have been good at that because one, you can never guess people's ages. No. And two, you can never guess people's weights. No. <laughs> I, I could say thin, but if they ask weight, I'm way off. Or sizes, way off. Now, I don't know if he had pants on because they said leotard. So, I mean, I don't know. But I have a mental image here, you know, and it's pretty comical in my head. Just a random person, like kind of in the darkness in like a black leotard just randomly well in men's gymnastics in their leotards they do wear like pants with it oh okay okay so maybe that's what he had maybe that's it up. i'm not sure because they're really the only ones who said leotard we'll get to more of this but as funny as all of that is it's his demeanor that just chills me. The girls described him as extremely agitated. His movements were very staccato and rapid. And what I picture is when you're watching a scary movie or something and the villain or ghost, it's blinking in and out of existence, but its body is contorting itself and like convulsive movements, but it's really quick, not overly exaggerated. That's what I'm picturing. Just like, like it's ticking kind of, but like really quickly. Anyway, as the girls near this man, their dread is magnified and they're just trying to keep upright and make it home at this point. 
Once they walk past him, they look to his face and they see this weird smile mixed with what they described as a painful expression, like he was grimacing. And he started to make this noise like he was snorting and grunting, all while his face was pulled into this weird expression. And the girls were like, fuck this, we're out of here, and they ran. But one did look back, that would probably be me, Mm -hmm. because she wanted to know if he was following them, because they couldn't hear him anymore. And the thing is, when she looked back, she couldn't see him anywhere. She didn't hear him, nothing. And so they were like, all right, let's just go home. They called the police and they reported the man because they feared for others in the area. If he left them, he had to go somewhere else. You know, they did tell the police he seemed to have simply vanished when they ran away. There weren't really hiding places. Everything was pretty exposed due to the moon's brightness. But he was gone just as quickly as he was there in the first place. This would be the first of several sightings of the Gurning Man, whose moniker struck fear in the hearts of everyone in the Cross Hill District in Glasgow in 1976 through 1979. What the bloody hell does that mean? (laughs) Right. I didn't know what Gurning was, so I looked it up. And Gurning is, according to Wikipedia, a British word that means an extremely distorted and particular facial expression and a verb to describe the action. A typical gurn involves projecting the lower jaw as far forward and up as possible and covering the upper lip with the lower lip. Basically, like what you were doing. So think about that face. uh huh, And then also with like a smile too. Yeah. Some person looking at you like you just did and then like moving really that. <laughs> This is why we can't have a camera. Right. I was about to say, man, y'all are lucky. (laughs) Like I mentioned, this was the first instance with the Gurning Man. But I should say that police did tell the girls that there were similar sightings in the area that had been reported to them. So technically not the first, but I guess others weren't as detailed because this is like the first that pulled up. Another incident a few days later happened in the early morning hours, like before anyone had risen yet. An elderly lady had gotten up and was going to prepare breakfast. She went to set her milk bottles out to be replaced by fresh ones with the milkman coming that morning. So it was still kind of like darkish outside at that point. You know how those old people be doing. My dad's sister is like that. She would always get up. It's still dark out. Starts preparing breakfast, drinking coffee, all the things. It's like a whole process. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so while this lady was placing the empty bottles outside, she heard something and noticed Something like in her, I always say it wrong. Periphery? Yeah, periphery. And so she looked to the street. She kind of squinted to see it because, again, it's like, wait, what? I was just trying to put these bottles out so I can get some milk. Well, what she saw was a tall, thin, bald man in tight black clothes. And they didn't say the leotard this time, but tight black clothes. And he was in the street. And the thing is, he wasn't just standing there. He seemed to be running in place, but it was like a weird gate run. Not just like, oh, jog in place for five counts kind of thing. This again was something like, what the fuck am I looking at? Jog in place for how many counts? I said five. Look, I'm not athletic. Even if it was like a dance move, it would be eight, right? Look, I don't know. But that's when she noticed his face. 
and he had that same hideous expression, a weird smile that was twisted into a grimace, and he looked as if he was in agonizing pain. The lady kept staring, trying to take everything in, all of his erratic movements and all the things. It was almost like she was frozen there by fear, with this overwhelming fear and dread. And just when she didn't know what would happen next, or, hey, should I call the police because I don't know what to do, the man just vanished. He was there, and then he wasn't. She quickly went back inside, locked her door, and she did end up filing a report and also made breakfast. I wonder what she made. I don't know, but I love breakfast. Another sighting was during the night, but this one wasn't out on the streets this time. It was inside a house. Again, it was the wee hours of the night and a woman woke up from her husband snoring. So I'm sure she was like you and Tiff are to me, like poke, 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 Donna, poke, poke, poke. I can hear you turn over, poke, poke, poke. Well, I mean, get a CPAP. That's how they were to me. I bet you never poke, poke, poke Colby before. Uh, yes, ma'am, I (laughs) did. I'm just joking. But let me tell you, I never poke, poke, poke them. Yes, she did. Poke, poke. Well, anyway, she goes to do that. But when she looks at her hubby, he's sleeping peacefully, no snoring at all. That's when her heart shot out of her ass because where is that sound coming from? That's when she looked around her room slowly and she saw at the end of their bed, there was a man. Bald, thin, he looked older, and again, he was in tight black clothing. And one detail she would never be able to forget, that weird, horrible facial expression. That smile that turned into that sinister gurn. His hands were on his chest and he was like running them over his chest and abdomen forcefully. Gross. In like odd jerky movements. It wasn't like sensual. It was scary. And the sounds that were coming from him, they were a mixture of grunts and snorts. I mean, this was enough to make anyone freak their freak, but she wasn't just worried about her and her husband. They had two kids as well. So she didn't know if they were hurt. She didn't know what's going on. She just woke up and this man is at the end of her bed. Has he been all throughout the house or has he just got here? Well, she again felt that overwhelming sense of dread and she woke her husband up who was still asleep next to her. At the same time as she was waking him up, that man let out a loud scream that made her husband basically just like jump right out of bed because he was going to turn on the light, see what the fuck that noise was and, you know, save the day. But there was no one there when the lights came on. No signs of a break-in, nothing. Over the course of the next three years, there were 17 sightings of the Gurning Man, the majority taking place outside in the street, but six were inside people's homes, just like that woman's. And there were all similarities, like all women, all in the wee hours of the night or early morning. And all of them talk about that overwhelming fear that they felt and how it was instantly gone when he was. So again, 17 sightings over three years. So it was frequent, but not overly frequent. Just enough to have you on the edge of your seat anytime you were alone with your thoughts for too long. Now, I will say in 2017, there were two sightings, but I don't know because why would he come back after all that time? Like what? But I'll talk about them because that's what I do. The first sighting was in Queens Park area, which is really close to the Cross Hill area. It's like adjacent to it. 
And this woman, she was headed home after visiting some friends. Well, she was going on about her business, walking down the street when she saw what she said was a quote, spindly old man. What the hell does that mean? Like he was skinny and his limbs were like real tiny and they just looked like spindles. spindles on a thing. Yeah. And that person was standing between two parked cars on the street. She said he was wearing tight clothes and the neckline was really low. So that could have been that sexy leotard coming back. Not sure. She only saw him when she was super close to him. Like she didn't see him while she was walking up to those cars or anything. So it was like he was there in an instant and he made strange and off-putting noises. He rubbed his chest violently with his hands and she said he looked old, around 70. And the next and final sighting was in Queens Park area as well. A group of teenage girls were all outside and they were just sitting around, you know, shooting the shit. And they saw some movement in the bushes. So one girl pointed her phone over in that direction, you know, because that's what we use as flashlights. And you could tell the difference between the 1970s version and 2017. Hey, let me look at my phone real mm-hmm. quick. But so what they saw was the Gurning Man, or who they suspected to be the Gurning Man. He fit the description, old, thin, and twitching at a speed that didn't seem human. They didn't stay around to hear any noise, though. They were like, boy, bye. So that's the last sighting. But there's multiple theories. Like maybe it was just a man who harassed women. Or maybe that man had a mental illness and that's what caused his movements to be how they described. Well, how you were describing it, I was like, does he have some sort of like ataxia, which is like those like kind of like quick jerky movements that you can see after some sort of like neurological event. So like a, a stroke, a brain injury, you know, something like that. Right. Or to continue with your mental illness thing I mean if he was on certain medications kind of the classic example for like schizophrenia and when you're on those medications for a prolonged period of time you get what's called tardive dyskinesia where you have like rhythmic shakes like tremors from being on those medicines for so long and so if he did have some sort of mental illness then that could explain those movements too okay okay Well, the police were like, yeah, we think it was a guy, like it was a human being. And we really think the home invasions were robberies, you know, that got caught in the middle. And basically they acted like the guy that everyone had been talking about. But I'm like, "Mm, okay, so you just happen to be bald, thin and can move like that. I mean, yeah, you'd be wearing all black because like that's classic, but but that's classic robber attire. But yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, not everyone is bald and thin. Hello, the Hamburglar. I can't even with you. (laughs) The Hamburglar. Oh, God. I mean, it was a good one. But it's like, these people knew all the details and stuff. Every time it was the same, like, nah, my dude. Mm Mm-mm. Others believe he might have been a demon. I know your personal favorite go-to. You love when they say that. Or others believe he could be a time traveler or an interdimensional traveler, and that could be why he vanishes into thin air, but also for like his jerky movements and stuff. Never heard time travelers had jerky movements. Interdimensional. Oh, that's different. Okay. Yes. No, I know. I'm just. Okay. Yeah. You trying to be, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, hater. But I know what Carrie's going to agree with, that this could all just be complete urban legend. Mm -hmm. So what do you think? Well, 
given the time span between the like appearances of him, it's hard to believe that it really is someone with a mental illness that has, again, like let's say the tardive dyskinesia, or they had some sort of like brain injury where they have the ataxic movements too. So because there's there's so much time, so the likelihood of it being the same person and them being as old as they say they are, slim to none. So it sounds like a little bit of a Slenderman sitch. Right. Because when they were saying that, okay, so I got different things. So I got Slenderman from some of their, like, all black, but not a leotard. Slendy was not that sexy. But how he was dressed, but the spindly, like, the thinness of mm-hmm. it and all that. And obviously bald. But also the creepiest of creeps, the smiling man. It's like a let's not meet kind of thing. But it's that smiling man. He has that weird gait and he's smiling like Mm -hmm. that toothy smile. And it's just like, oh my God, that YouTube video kills me. Like every time I'm like, this is silly. This is, oh God, I'm scared. (laughs) Like got to watch something else. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you who I think it is. Oh God. Okay. So, wait, before you tell me that, we got to talk about Care Of. They're back with their cute little packages. Oh, so cute. So personalized. Uh, It's like, hi, Carrie. And Donna. Well, it doesn't say and Donna. Yours says, hi, Donna. (laughs) Care Of is here, ready to support y'all, just like they're supporting us on getting vitamins, supplements that are not a one-size-fits-all. Because, you know, that shit never fucking fits. So, if you don't know... Care Of is a subscription service. It ships straight to your door. All the personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders that when you take the quiz, it's going to say, ooh, that's tailored directly to Carrie. And Donna. (laughs) Like she said, you take a quiz, super freaking easy. You talk about, hey, I need joint health. I need immunity help. I need all the fucking help I can get. But the quiz helps personalize your vitamin supplement regimen just to you. And because it is subscription, so it's month to month, if your needs change, you can go and tailor it again. You can take the quiz and say, look, I don't need this right now. Let's change it to this. Absolutely. And it comes in a box. You just pull your little package out, open it up, no scissors or anything needed, and you just take them. Voila! Voila, your vitamins. That's terrible. I'm telling you that the little personalized package that is plant-based and compostable film, like it being like, hi, Carrie, is everything. It really is. It really is. It's just that little extra step that makes me go, damn, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then I was getting low on my vitamins and it was like, here's your second package. It's like they just know. Subscription-based. So for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter the code CREEP50. That's 50% off your first order of Care Of. Go to TakeCareOf.com, promo code CREEP50. That's T-A-K-E-C-A-R-E-O-F.com and enter the code CREEP50. 50. And I mean, who doesn't want 50 of anything? Right? 50 off. That's what I look for. Like 50 off of anything just makes it better. Okay. I'll tell you who I really think the gurning man is. Reincarnated in Jax. <laughs> My dog? Your dog. Wow. <laughs> he, he's a bulldog, so he wrinkly. Yeah. 
like older men, wrinkles, uh-huh. jacks. Well, and a lot of people said like he was pale, white, whatevs. So your dog snorting. Yes. Making all those kinds of weird noises. Yes. True. Jerky movements. That bulldog, he is very agile for a bulldog. True. Like very agile. He could turn around real quick. True. But he is the loudest on this fucking planet. <laughs> like ever. When I was reading this, I was like, this is Jax. <laughs> this is literally Jax. Yeah, poor baby. Mm-hmm. So Changeling has a changeling for a pet. Yeah, poor baby. Mm-hmm. He can't help it. He can't breathe. Also, like Gurning Man, and you know he got that uh, underbite and all. I mean, I'm just saying. Touche. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to call him baby. Gurney. Don't call him that. <laughs> poor Gurney. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go with that he's a figment of our imaginations, like a Slenderman. I mean, don't come see me, Slenderman. I was just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Honestly, I think the first sighting could have been something real. I mean, not like an actual like thing, but it could have just been an eerie situation. Yeah, for sure. I think when you hear about an attack and especially, hey, I live in that neighborhood, you're a little bit more on edge. And so even if you saw someone like literally walking in the other direction, you'd be like, are they looking at me weird? Are they moving weird? Well, and you have to think, too, that the first sighting came from like they saw it like in between the lights. Mm -hmm. So like if there was like a wind or a bag even or literally anything, it could look like it was dancing rhythmically. Mm -hmm. So... Our brains, whatever that phenomenon is, where our brains try to make sense of what we see. And it's like, oh, okay, I don't know what that is. Oh, that's a face. It's got to be a face. Right. Your brain's going to try to make sense. So if you think about, they're seeing it from a distance in between lights where it's shining, it's weird. It's like you could, your brain's going to put anything together Mm -hmm. in that specific place. And so then it becomes like a, oh, they saw this thing. Well, and they had been at a party and stuff, so... I mean, you don't know if they had been drinking or anything. Yeah. So do you think that that Anthony Wilson killed those other two? I don't know. I don't either because if they weren't raped. Right. Well, and one was before and one was after, correct? Mm-hmm. So I feel like if the one before wasn't raped, I would be like, okay, he escalated. But if right. the one after wasn't raped, I feel like, but maybe he like had to just kill her and run because yeah. he was interrupted or something. Well, and that would make more sense with Sherry, who was the third one, because she was like next to her car. But Angie was away from her car, just like Kathy. So... If any of the other two would have been raped as far as like what you would expect for timeline, it would have been Angie because she again was away from her car just like Kathy. But she was first. So true. He could have, you were just back in your timeline, remember? Yeah, but maybe so. Maybe he like got too excited and, you know, did the serial killer can't get it up thing, you know, where they, like then they get too excited and they just can't do it. And so then it, all things escalate. Yeah, I don't know. It's like everything lines up, but then nothing lines up. Yeah. All I know is I'm so glad there's a resolution for her. And it's not perfect, but at least they didn't give up. She didn't. The police didn't. When they were at another roadblock yet again of not being able to charge Mm -hmm. someone, which, I mean, it worked out perfectly for the the original tool. 
Oh, yes. And Henry Lee Lucas, because they didn't really do it, which they would have done more digging and all anyway. But right. it's like, I don't know, at least the prosecutor was like, look, uh, we can't charge him, but I I believe y'all. Like, he, you know, yeah. he was on their side. So at least, although it was a devastating blow to the family, it wasn't like, yeah, I don't buy it. You know? Right. Well, y'all let us know what you think about, did Anthony Wilson kill Sherry and Angie just the way they proved that he did Kathy? Is Donna's story about a Jax reincarnate, or is it a, I don't know, Slenderman type thing, or is it a demon, or is it an alien, or is it, what the fuck is it? <laughs> Let us know what you think, but most of all, remember, creep it real, and, and don't, don't get scared. scared.